I wanted to talk about, you know, what, how you can understand all this from a certain framework. And that's what I wanted to speak about. The truth is, is that we know that there's a certain relationship that the Jewish people have with the Satan. And that is that there is a source that comes down, Kiddushah, holiness, and that's what enables everything to survive. And really it goes to the Jewish people. However, uh, it can go to the Satan. It depends, it's up to the Jews. If the Jews do mitzvot, then that Kiddushah, it's called the Shefa, or Hashpor, you know, it's a divine flow. That if the Jews do the mitzvot, and Torah, and so on, then that flow goes to the Jews. And the Satan is denied that flow of holiness. So he grows weak. If, however, the Jews sin, the next flow of holiness goes to the Satan, and he gains, and he becomes tremendously powerful, and the Jews, however, become very weak. So we have this kind of back and forth in terms of the what's called the, uh, the Kiddushah, how it goes. And the truth is that the, the fortunes of history all depend on this you know, back and forth flow. In many ways, it's like a seesaw. You know, when the, once one side is up, then the other side is down, and vice versa. When the other side is up, then the other side is down, so on. Okay. Uh, now, in the world, uh, when the Satan does get the Yeniko, means when he does get his Kiddushah, because the Jews are sinning, then he has what's called a Bechor. He has a major nation, you see, that he can, he can encourage in, in, uh, in, uh, and empower to do his bidding. And that's where he basically, he argues in their favor, you see. So that's called the Bechor of the Sultan. That is sort of like his firstborn, although it doesn't mean literally firstborn, but it does mean he's, he's uh, sort of like a five-star, four-star general. That most of the evil that he wants to argue against the Jews, he filters through this nation. Now, in the history of mankind, okay, uh, we know also that when the Jews sin, then their sin gives the, the Satan this tremendous power. And this power, of course, is Kiddushah. We know that. <clears throat> and what, what God has done is he has assigned eight different nations that when the Jews deserve in some way to be punished, which means that they will suffer, then it is these nations, each one becomes a Bechor to the Sultan. And it is to this nation, you see, that the Jews will suffer. Now what's interesting is that God will always take Bechor of the Sultan, since the Shefa is coming down in tremendous quantity to this nation, because the Satan is the one who doles out 
that Shefa, that he wins in Besdin, in the court, in heaven, when he, when he accuses the Jews of sinning, so all the Shefa comes to him, and he, of course, filters it to that nation that at that time is the firstborn, so to speak, or the uh, four-star general of the Satan. You see, how it, and, and that's a very important idea. Uh, that is why many times <clears throat> you will see that there is always a supernation that somehow the Jews are involved. Let me take a look, you know. We have the first nation, of course, is Egypt, the Triumph. And even though God said that the Jews will be in a nation that they don't know for 400 years, he was referring to whoever the Bechor of the Satan will be in that day, which, of course, then turned out to be Egypt. So Egypt, of course, was a super nation. At that time, it was the greatest nation on earth. And the Jews, of course, found themselves in Egypt. So, like I say, at that time, Egypt was the Bukhar, was the super nation. Because that nation that the Satan brings all the Shefa, that becomes a tremendously great in every which way, militarily, you know, in terms of civilization, they become the greatest. And it, it's always the job of that super nation, okay, uh, to afflict the Jews when they deserve punishment. So, the first one that this happened to, of course, was Egypt, which, of course, afflicted the Jews in a terrible way. Then it was transferred, because Egypt was destroyed, and it, it went over to, of course, Bovel, Babylon, you see. So, when the Jews left Egypt, they were on a very high plane of spirituality, Ruchnius. So, the Bechor or the firstborn, uh, wasn't the Satan's firstborn. Rather, it was the Jews. That's why the Jews had a tremendous monarchy. You know, they had Shaul, they had Shlomo Melech, David HaMelech, and so on. And for many years, they had for hundreds of years. Because really, they were, most of the Kiddushah was in the hands of the Jews, much more so than in the hands of the Satan. However, because the Jews sinned terribly with Avodah Zarah, of course we know that they split, right? They split, which means that part of the uh, Jewish nation went into exile. The Assyrians become very great. They were then the Bechor of the Satan, and they exiled the ten tribes. And things continued. What does that mean, they continued? They continued when the Jews again sinned, because they were all rid of Zara, they worshipped idols, worse and worse. And finally, uh, the, uh, the nation called Babylon, Bovel, became the Bechor of the Satan, under Nebuchadnezzar. You see. So because of that, he was able to afflict the Jews. But even worse, he was able to destroy the Beis HaMikdash. Now you should know one thing that the Beis HaMikdash isn't so much a temple or a house. What it really is, it's a reflection of the divine presence to the Jewish people. Because that's what it means, that the Kiddushah, 
was mostly to the Jews. And the proof of that is because they had the Beis HaMikdash, which had the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence. Because at that time, the Jews were a very great, righteous, and holy nation. But as time went on, right, where did the Shekhinah go? It left. That indicates, right, that if the Shekhinah left, right, it means that the, the Shefa, the ability to take or yoinate, nourish from the Tremens Kudusha, it went to the hands of the Satan. And he would give it out to the Bechor of the Satan at that time, which was Babylon, you see. So when you look at the destruction of the first temple, what you're really looking at is the diminishment of the Shekhinah in the hands of the Jews. And you're looking at the transfer of that to the Satan's Bechor, which is Nebuchadnezzar, you see. And that's also simultaneous, basically, with the destruction of the temple. There was a tremendous diminishment of a Jew's ability to access the Kedusha through Nebuah, prophecy. Because that's what really prophecy is. Prophecy is when the Kedusha, the holiness of the Jew, right, is so much in the hands of the Jews uh, that he, he can become a prophet. He merely has to go through the proper training. But he can access the Shekhinah, and that's really what prophecy is, because the, the Shekhinah is really in the hands of the Jews. They have the, the repository of tremendous Kiddushah. You see? So when they turned to Avodah Zarah, which was very bad, right? Then what happened was is that they lost the Beit HaMikdash and they lost the ability to access the Shekhinah through Kedushah. So what you're looking at really is the transfer of the Kedushah, that what's called the that Hashpa'ah, that divine flow from the Jewish people to the Satan, to the Bechor of the Satan, who are, of course, the Goyim, which is Nebuchadnezzar. You see, that's really what's happening. And that's why it says in Echo, you know, it says in Echo, which is interesting, it, uh, it says, Soreho umalkeho bagoyim, that her princes, the princes of the Jews, right, umalkeho, and her kings, right, Agoyim are now amongst the Gentiles, right? Right? And the Nevi'im also find no visions. Ain't terror. There's no terror. <clears throat> so what that really means is what you're really looking at is like, it's like a contest that there's a certain reservoir of Kiddushah and there's an eternal fight between the Satan and the Jewish people. So for hundreds of years, the Jews had access to that, you see, because when they left Egypt, they became the Bechor, which is clearly in Shemot. I mean, that's really the Pasha we're in. Where the Bechor, which was Egypt, got transferred to the Jews, and they became the Bechor, not of the Satan, but they became the general of the reservoir of the Kiddushah, which is really the Shekhinah. That's why the Jews are called the Bechor, you see. 
So you had the Bukhor of Egypt that was now transformed or transferred to the Bukhor of the Jews. But like I say, so they had that incredible Kedusha, and therefore they had the Beit HaMikdash. Not only that, they also had Nevoah, prophecy, for hundreds of years, you know, uh, probably something like six, seven hundred years. It's a long time, you see. But eventually what happened was the ten tribes, they really sunk because of Yerobim and Nevat and so on, and all those, the, uh, the ten kings, uh, I say the ten tribes. So therefore that Kiddushah, or their ability to access that Kiddushah and have the Beit HaMikdash and have the Nevoah, Nevoah, prophecy, the ability to access prophecy, that failed. So they went into exile, you see, because the Satan was able at that point in time to build up the, uh, his Bechor, and his Bechor, of course, was uh, Sancherov, which is Assyria, you see. But there was still a tremendous amount of Kiddushah left in the Jewish people, but not among the ten tribes. It was among Yehuda, you see. So you still have the kings of Judah. And the Kedushah was still there until ultimately they also fell. They became Oivar of Zerah, right? And then all of it went from Assyria into Nebuchadnezzar, which is Babylon. And because of that, you had the destruction of the temple, which, like I said, is the transfer of the Kedusha, the powerful force, divine energy of the Shrina, and that went over to the Satan, you see. So, the Beis Amigdis was destroyed, you see. And then the Jews lost it. However, what was interesting <clears throat> is because of the Ness of Purim, you see, <clears throat> somehow they got a tremendous amount back. Why? Because, you know, you know the story of Purim, of course. Because what happened in Purim is because of the tshuva that Esther had them do. Remember, they fasted for three days. And they all did incredible tshuva, you see. And they did the tshuva, and as a result of that, an enormous amount of shefa, of kiddushah, was restored to the Jewish people. In fact, to such an extent, where had the Jews come back with Ezra, when he came back to Eretz Yisrael, to build, when he built, he came back and built the Beit HaMikdash Sheni, the second one, since they had tremendous access to the Shechina, right, then Ezra could have been the Mashiach ben Yosef. That's how much Kedusha they had. But because only 70,000 Jews came back with him, that became limited, you see. So not only was it a limitation, uh, because, you know, 70,000 Jews came back and the rest stayed in Babylon, therefore the amount of Shekhinah that came down also was limited, you see. And that is why there was no Nevoah in the Second Temple era, you see. And not only that, but there were many things missing. The Orin was missing. The Um Vetumim was missing. A lot of stuff missing uh, in the Second Beit HaMikdash, you see. However, there was a tremendous Kiddushah, like I said, because of the Chufa 
that the Jews did by Esther. You see, unfortunately, it wasn't complete, but it was enough where it tremendously elevated the Jewish people, you see. So, what caused that to happen was the Bechor of the Sultan was Persia, Ahasuerus, and then, of course, Haman, you see. And like I say, they were able to restore a great deal of the Shechina, and therefore they were able to build the Beit HaMikdash. However, that didn't last that long, right? And as a result of the fact that the Jews did sin, right, and so on, then they built up a, a, another nation. They became the Bechor, right? And that was, of course, Yovan, Greece. And Greece, again, right, what was their main thrust? Their main thrust, of course, was to destroy the Besamikdash, in the sense that they wouldn't destroy the temple. What they would do is put a Greek idol in the temple and have the Jews bow to it, you see. <clears throat> However, what is interesting, they didn't destroy the Beit HaMikdash, not at all. Why? Because the Jews still were holy and righteous enough where a great deal of the Shekhinah remained with them, you see. And as a result of that, the Greeks could only damage the temple. It couldn't destroy the temple because the Jews, again, were still on a very high level. And therefore, the Shekhinah remained with them, right? However, what did happen is there was enough diminishment of the Shekhinah, you see, where the Greeks could metameh, they could defile the temple. And at that time, the Greeks were the Bechor. They were the major, it's like the major general or the agent. The major agent of the Satan, of course, was the Greeks. And that went on for a while. And there was a, obviously a lot of sinning. Because tragically, a lot of the Jews at the time of Greece liked the Greek culture. Look, the Greeks were a very physical nation. You know, you had the Olympics, you had plays, which the Greeks are famous for, you had the architecture, you know, you had the literature. Look, Greece was the modern version of today. That's where modern culture comes from, Greece. So unfortunately, a great deal of the Jews, they're called the Mesyavnim, you know, the people, the Hellenists, they became enamored from a Greek, uh, not, not just religion, but the Greek culture. And they, in many ways, abandoned Judaism, you see. <clears throat> Therefore, the Satan, again, was unique, right? Because, again, you have the Mesyavnim that want Greek culture and religion as opposed to Judaism. Therefore, the Greeks collapsed, and what happened is Rome took over Greece. Rome is really an expression, or rather an expansion of Greece, because Rome adapted the Greek culture in many ways. They didn't really initiate that much of their own, but what they did is they took the Greek understanding of the world, you see, and they brought it out to the entire world. They spread it, 
throughout the entire world. I mean, Alexander was first. He spread it throughout the entire world. You see? But the ones who really did that, you know, not just Alexander, the Greeks, but Rome. Rome conquered, you see, the entire world. And therefore they spread out the Greek culture. However, the problem then was this, is that enough of the Jews sinned where the, there was a severe diminishment of the Kiddushah, of the Beit HaMikdash. This was the problem, which was really in many ways identical to Babylon. Because like I said, because of the tremendous Avodah of the Jews, then Bovel, the, the Shekhinah, was enormously reduced. And therefore, they were able to take away, sort of like take away the Shekhinah from them, from us, and destroy the Beit HaMikdash, which is the residence of the Shekhinah amongst us, you see. So Rome, therefore, Jews sinned enough because of a lot of things that they were doing, and they succeeded also in destroying the Beit HaMikdash. Same idea. Because Rome became the Bechor of the Sultan. And that's what happened with Rome. That the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. Rome is the Bechor, the firstborn. Rome became the major agent of the Satan, you see. And as a result of that, uh, they have been in charge because they have been unique substantially from the Kiddushah of the Jewish people. In fact, to such an extent, when you think about it, you know how much Rome, which is the Bechor of the Satan, which is really Esau, we know, right? Because the Torah says that Esau is Edoim, that's the Torah, and the Gemara says that Edoim is Rome. So Rome is really the origin of Rome. It's really Esau. So Esau now assumed, finally, the Bechor status, you see. <clears throat> and therefore, they have been the Bechor of the Satan throughout the last 2,000 years. It's a long time. Now, what's interesting <clears throat> is that since Rome is Esau, you see, you find... You know, what you don't find in the religion of Babylon or Greece or Persia, but what you do find is the religion of Rome. That Rome became, from a pagan, they became Christian. Now, even though Christian at a certain level is pagan, because they believe in more than one deity, even though they say that God is the real deity, and Yeshua is his son, and whatever, the Holy Ghost and all that kind of stuff, whatever, um, but what's interesting is that they now and had enough Kiddushah in them to fashion Christianity as a sort of, not a mirror image, but a very weak representation of the Torah. And that is because they believe in what? They believe in one God with two subsidiaries, whatever. They also believe in a Messiah. You see, before that, there was no concept of a messianic figure. But they believe in the Messiah, and they have spread this concept, right? That there will be an age, a messianic age. There will be an end of time, you see, that the world will change 
and the kingdom of heaven, as they call it, will return to the earth. Now, in many ways, that is a core belief, right? Which we believe, but we believe, of course, Tchias and they have their own version of Tchias I think it's called the rapture, whatever. But the main idea is that their religion, Christianity, right, has a certain interesting Kiddushah underneath it, because that's what they stole from the Jews, you see. And as a result of that, their religion spread many ideas of Torah across the world, which is really what the Jews should have done. Now, who says this? The Rambam. No greater figure than the Rambam says this, that really the Jews were supposed to spread the belief in basically one God and the concept of a redemption, the concept of a Messiah, right? And the concept that there will be a kingdom of heaven, so to speak, a messianic age, where only good will happen. That's what they are saying. So in that sense, it is a mini-message, which is very similar, of course, to the Torah in that respect. And they're the ones who are spreading it, which is amazing. Now, why? Because the answer is, is that because they are Esau, Edom, you see, Edom, Esau, was Jewish. So therefore, when he took the, took the Kiddushah, you see, and he became the Bechor, he has a much greater likeness to the Jews than uh, the previous ones, which were much more pagan in their belief. So therefore, the one who is the Bechor of the Satan, you see, and therefore has been unique from the Kiddushah of the Jewish people, is Christianity, you see. And this is true. They have been the major agent of, uh, of the uh, Satan, the Bechor, for 2,000 years. And then finally, of course, we know that Rome, that Rome now became Christian, you see. So Rome now turned into Christianity. And Christianity is really the Bechor of the Sultan today, especially in the form of Western civilization, you see. Now, this is true, of course. These are the Klipot. So what do we have so far? But you understand what's going on, that there's always a contest between us, the Jews, and the Satan for this incredible reservoir or flow, this divine flow and divine energy, you see. There's always this contest. And the, this, the history of the Jewish people, many ways, is all about, well, do we have this Kedusha? Or does the Satan have the Kedusha? So when we have it, then we have the Beit HaMikdash, we have a tremendous amount of Torah, which is exactly what happened, and so on. We had the Torah for what? We had the, the Gemara, the Talmud Bavli, the Yishami, all of that was written when we were much higher, you see. Uh, but since we are in Galut, what the Galut really is, is that the Kiddushah is now in the hands of the Goyim, Christianity. And that's why the major Galut of the Jewish people is in the Christian countries, because they have the Kiddushah. 
So they have been the Bechor of the Sultan for 2,000 years. And the, not only do we not have a Beit HaMikdash, which itself indicates a tremendous diminishment of the Shekhinah, but the fact that we are under their, you know, control and under their persecutions and so on, you know, that clearly is indicative that they have this Kiddushah and we are subservient to them. And this has been going on for thousands of years, you see. Now, as we come toward the end, the Satan begins to lose all that Kiddushah, and what happens is, it goes back to the Jews, you see. So, what the Jews are doing in the last 2,000 years is squeezing out all that Kiddushah that the Satan has. We've been doing it almost 2,000 years, you see. And we've been squeezing it out with the three basic processes. One is mitzvot. When the Jew is mitzvah, right? Then he brings down Kiddushah. When the Jew does tshuva, then he takes it out of the hands of the Satan. And then when he suffers, surin, he takes more out of the hands of the Satan. So what the Golas has done, basically, it has taken away an enormous amount of the Kiddushah of the Satan to such an extent where the Satan is dying. That's really what's happening, you see. And right now, he has very weak Bechor, Bechorot, you see. But he still has, or at least previously had, three of them. The first Bechor of the Satan still remains Esav, which is Edom and Rome and so on, and Christianity. So he still has that. But what is, inter- and, uh, well, what is interesting, and then of course the second one is Ishmael, is the Arabs, and the third one is the Erev Rav, which are Jews. Now let's take a look at, uh, at the, um, uh, the Christianity. What is interesting is that the Christians... And there's a reason for this. You know, for 1,500 years, they were able to terribly persecute the Jews. You're talking about crusades, pogroms, right? You're talking about expulsions, terrible inquisitions. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, But since the Satan has been losing all this Kiddushah, the the Esav or Edom, right, which are the basic Christians, they get weaker, which means that they no longer really have the power to, to uh, afflict the Jewish people. And one of the major things that have stopped them from persecuting the Jewish people, you'd be surprised to hear, is what is called democracy. Because democracy removes kings. It removes tyrants you see, and it puts the people in charge. And coupled with that, you have the Renaissance and the Reformation. And therefore people, even though it still continues at a certain level, but democracy or the rule of people as opposed to the rule of kings, you see, has tremendously reduced the ability of Christianity to kill the Jews, which they've been doing for 
thousands of years, you see, especially with the pogroms and the persecutions. And of course, we've seen that with the Holocaust and so on. Uh, but you see, but what has happened, because they are losing their access to the Shekhinah, therefore, they cannot make the Jews suffer as much. And, what the, and democracy put a hold on it. And that's why democracy has become so uh, widespread in the last 200 years. You see, ever since the French Revolution, you know, 1792, and then you have the American Revolution in 1776. So the rule of the people has severely diminished the ability of Christianity as a major klipah to really harm the Jews. It's a very important idea. And that is why democracy is here to stop or to break the terrible influence that the Satan has in terms of uh, Christianity, you see. Uh, now, besides that, that's the first uh, uh, klipa, which is at, this klipa is still here, but is severely diminished. The second klipa, of course, are the Arabs, Yishmuel, you see. <clears throat> and they also have been able to subjugate the Jewish people in many ways, in a terrible way, you see. But what's, what is interesting about all that is they also are ending their ability. Because take a look, you see. Uh, they now recognize that they have to become part of what's called the 21st century, you see. <clears throat> and that's what they want to become. So all of a sudden, lo and behold, right, we have the Tariq Shabesa, which we know as Trump, actually has created a situation um, where there are many Arab nations that want to now ally themselves with Israel. And that is the beginning of the tshuva of Esau, which again is the, uh, excuse me, of Yishmael, and that again is the diminishment of the Shechina in the hands of Yishmael, you see, uh, in the sense that <clears throat> they are no longer able to persecute the Jews and that really started, you know, in 1990, right, when many of the Jews from Iraq, from, uh, you know, Iraq, Iran, and Syria, uh, a lot of the Sephardic Jews were actually able to leave the, the Arab countries, you see, because they no longer have what they used to have, access to the divine flow of holiness, which means that they are no longer a Bechor of the Satan, you see. And because of that, um, they can no longer afflict the Jews the way they used to. Yes. They are also changing, you see. And that brings me to the last klipa of before the Messianic era, and that is the era of Rav. Now, the era of Rav is a whole discussion, you see, right? next week and what you are going to hear next week is an understanding that what you are seeing now in terms of what's happening to America is not so much about America although there is that which is going on in America there's no question what's happening there is that we are watching at least so far I mean I hope you girls are right but we are watching the return or the resurrection of the Ra Shebe'esov over the Toiv Shebe'esov. 
Uh, and uh, I want to go to it next week, is an understanding of the era of Rav and what part they play in history and how what is really happening today is not so much about Edoim, right? It's really about the era of Rav, as you will see. So next week I will continue this year uh, to explain what is happening, you see. Now this week should be an incredible week. You know, if Trump is going to make his comeback, I'm sure he's going to do it this week. I hope he goes right. But so far, you now have a background, you see, and that is that the the the, uh, the Shefa, the divine flow, is slowly returning to the Jewish people. So the Satan doesn't really have a Bukhar, you see. And that that is why, in the end of time, you really need all three. You need this. Uh, you need the uh, the Edoim, or the Rashi Beisav, right? You need uh, Yishmuel, the Muslims, and you need the Erevrav, which are the Jews, as we will see, that want to break the bond with God. That's why you need all three. You see, because all of them, each of them, can no longer sustain the firstborn of the Satan. So you need all three to do the job. But we are watching the dissolution of all three. And that's what I want to talk about to continue. Any questions? Wait, Rabbi, you just gave the class. Can you say that it's in memory of my brother Moshe Ben Sarah? It's his end of the year this week. Moshe Ben what? Sarah. Sarah. Who is this, Rachel? Yeah, it's my brother. His end of the year is on Friday. He passed away. Okay, yeah. The Shia should be... Of, of okay, the Shia should go for the Schut, the Aliyah Nishama of Moshe Ben... Sarah. Sarah. Ben, ben Sarah. Well, actually, what's his father's name? Ezra. Ezra? Ezra? So, yeah, we do it. Yes, Ezra. Well, when after they're dead, you go after the father. Moshe ben Ezra. Yeah, should be a schut for the aliyah nishama. The Sephardim go always uh, according to the mother. Okay, Moshe ben Sarah or Moshe ben uh, Ezra, whichever way works. Uh, you know. Amen. Amen. Yes. Rabbi, I have a question. Yeah. Okay. So, do you, do you think that the the way the Pashia are falling out is um, correlating, uh, not coincidence, because Hashem really doesn't work with coincidences, but correlating very well to what we're seeing today? Actually, it does. It correlates with two things. One is Parashat Shemot, which I have been using extensively in my Shurim as the model. And the second thing it correlates is Tevet which is the month of Esav. And this Wednesday, or not Wednesday, Thursday, this Thursday is Rosh Chodesh Shvat. Yes, so we are now, and Tuba Shvat, which is coming up, whatever, is the end of the Shlita of Esav. And it begins the Indian of Yosef. So you really have two things going on. You have the beginning of the end of the Mazal of Esav, which is Tevez, which is the goat, and you also have the Parashat Shemot for Edo, right? And of course, Bo, Bishalach, 
which is, of course, Yitzhak Mitzrayim, which also is the end of the Kripa. So I would certainly say, agree with you, that these two parashot are very timely. That's definitely true. Okay. So if Hashem came to Moshe in the burning bush this past week in Shema, is there a possibility that he came to the Mashiach? And you'll say uh, it's, it's, po- yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a possibility. Yeah. I Do you think, think Yosef, Mashiach and Yosef, knows who he is already? Uh, well, that's really what she's asking. If right, uh, yeah, the burning so bush is think? really to inform, what do I think? Yeah, what do you think? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. You know, that's he would certainly answer. know. What was that? I didn't, I didn't get a good answer. That's not a good answer. <laughs> you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I, I feel he definitely lives today. There is a man who lives today who is the Mashiach ben Yosef, who will be the real Mashiach ben Yosef. You know, I'm sure he suspects that he is something, you know, extraordinary, and he doesn't understand what is happening. <clears throat> you know, and last, last year, last year I gave, not here, but the uh, 10 days ago, the year I gave on the uh, current event, <clears throat> you know, he suffers in the concept of Bikarnov, that he cannot express his enormous potential, spirituality. So I'm sure that he knows there's something going on. As to whether he knows definitively, because the Rabbana Shalom spoke to him, that is unknown. But you should know one thing. When he does know, that is the, uh, that is the, uh, the Aschalt de Gula. So the moment he knows what the real story is, that is the real Aschalt de Gula. You see. But what is happening now, basically, is what's called, as I mentioned in that Shia, this is all to accelerate the process since the Jews fundamentally do not deserve really based on their merits they don't really deserve to be redeemed like I mentioned but since the Jewish people are so far down then this is called a crisis it's an emergency you see that God has to bring the Mashiach because the world is falling apart in many ways. We don't even imagine how. But, uh, um, I, you know, like I say, I, I believe that we are very, very close to the actual Aschalta de Gula. And the good news is once that happens, then that is unstoppable and irreversible. That is the equivalent of, in Shemot, Vayeda Elokim. And God knew. And knowledge is Yesoid, right? And God knew, which means he wanted to join Yesoid to Malchut. Yes. And that is the Gula. You see? So, Rabbi, will he be using will he be using Pakod Pakaditi so that we know that that's him the same way? Yes. Undoubtedly uh-huh. he will. 
Yes, the real question is, who's going to tell it to? That's my you know, question. In those days, you so had so Egypt. The elders. Exactly. There was a whole group of elders. The greatest right. of them was Amram. Was Amram, ben, you know, uh, with Yochebed, the Amram, the father of Moshe Rabbeinu. So he could tell it Maybe to him. Maybe the Gedolei Hador. Maybe the exactly. Gedolei Hador now. Yeah, but today, you know, who are the Gedolei Hador? We are losing Science so many Gedolei. It's just incredible. It's and like they back- said that before Mashiach, a lot of the rabbis will be part of the Erev Rav. Yes. That's called the small Erev Rav. The Erev Rav era that the Zohar talks about. Ah, that's right, yeah. And there are, there are, unfortunately, there are a lot of... Yeah, that's why we've seen, like, within the last 10 years, the rabbis that have been caught with such horrible things. Yeah. <clears throat> and therefore, um, you know, the, uh, the question is, you know, who's he going to say it to? There's, there's hardly any gedolim, real gedolim left. You know, you can count Rabbi them on Rabbi Kanievsky? Yeah, you can count them on your fingers. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, Rav Chaim Anievsky is the last, I think, of the true Gedolim. He's yeah. a true Godel. He's not a relative Godel. He's an absolute Godel. There's a difference. An absolute Godel is a Godel in any generation, basically. A relative Godel is relative to everybody else. He's a Godel. Right, See? in that generation. Yeah, in that generation, yeah. So, yeah, you know, Rav Chaim is certainly one of the few... I mean, there are certain Gedolim that are incredible. I believe Ovadi Yosef was one of them. Yeah. He was a yeah. true Gedolim. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. These are really, these are true Gedolim. In any generation, they would stand out. You know, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, or Rabbi, you know, it's on, you know, but today, I believe, like I say, the only true Gedolim, I believe, is Abraham Kanievsky. I'm not that familiar with yeah. the Svante Gedolim. I'm hoping that there's at least one, maybe two. There are. I, I'm not familiar with them, you know. Just, so I don't really, Rabbi I don't know. Rabbi Shlomo Amar is definitely. Who the, he, he's the robe of Yushalayim, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, so I'm not that familiar, but uh, uh, I'm sure there must be true Gedolim among the Svadim also. You know, but there's very few left. I mean, every day you pick up the newspaper, you know, the Jewish Another newspaper. Another one passes. Another one passed away. It's incredible. They're just dying left and right from Corona. You know, I'm not saying they could do them, but they are very hush of people. Yeah. Very hush of people. And God, God is like, he just, what Mushroom is doing is incredible. He's like cleaning out the whole lot. You see? And these people you don't replace. It took, it takes 70, 80 years become a man of that type of stature. So we're not talking about people that can be replaced. It has to be. And by then Mashiach would come, so it's, the time is up. Exactly. So the question is, when Rabbanisham does that, when he's cleaning out the place from Gedolim, then who's he leaving? So that's how you know that's one of the simonim, the signs that you know that we are right before the Messianic era, because there's nobody here, you see. And the only time the Rabbanishim would do that is if the Mashiach is right around the corner. Yeah. 
And, and I believe Rabbi, anyway. So yeah. What? It's so interesting that these past few parashiyot, Bayechi Yaakov wanted to reveal when the Mashiach was coming. And right. even the Haftarah is about Yirmiyahu warning of the destruction. Everything has something to do, don't worry. But after Hashem will take you back and uh, bring you the redemption, everything he's talking about it this past month. Yeah. I don't know. What, yeah, is there because a correlation? Right. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, all of this is very timely. Like I said, you know, all of this is very timely, and also. So, so Rabbi, so, so I mean, okay, let's fast forward when Benazir actually, you know, Hashem splits the Amsuf. Uh, what, what, what could what could we expect there? <clears throat> when you know he, what I mean? I, no, when I didn't parasha, get that. When we read it in the parasha that he splits the Yamsuf in our lives, could we could we? Like maybe you know, try to you know expect maybe that's when the Messiah will be released. Oh uh, well, uh, like I say, you know, there's always you know, of course it can always be possible, you know, because the Amsuf uh, was in many ways the end of the Klipa, you know, but they still had to go to Matantero, but the real end of the Klipa of that particular Klipa, which is the Bechor of Egypt was Yamsuf, because that's when he took out Egypt. That's what he says to Moshe, or Moshe says to Klai Israel, you know, these people that you see today, you will never see them again. Well, that means that the Klippah of Mitzrayim, who used to be the Bechor, is gone. They will be terminated, you see. Now, as, as far as that's concerned, now we don't know. You know, we have to see. Certainly, this week and the next week will be critical for what's going to happen to America. These two weeks coming up are going to be incredibly critical. What's going to happen to America? You know. How about with the Shovavim? Do you can you tie it in with the Shovavim? Yes, the Shovavim also is a very holy time. Exactly, because it's Shemois for era. You know, Shovavim. A boy Bishalim. exactly, yeah. And the Shavim is the is Gula. You know, it's a time of tremendous kapara and gula, yes. So, so you can add add that to the Rabbi, what the, what is this week in the Shavavim that we were supposed that we're supposed to work on um to repent on? What does the second week stand for? Do you know? <clears throat> well, Wait, was, uh, the, uh, the thing about uh, sexual immorality, he said, was no. The that was one. week no? one. That was week one. Because that's the major clipper of Egypt. Nida, nida, nida. nida. You mean the first week, right? Second the first week, week is nida. They said is sexual uh, immorality, and the, the second week now they're saying is nida. Nida, okay. That's all part of you know. It's uh, a nida. Is not immorality because the Isa Nida is basically even with one's wife. So it's not immoral, but there's no question it's a forbidden relationship, you know. So that would be uh, a next higher step. You know, first of all, uh, so immorality is where you have to avoid uh, a sexual promiscuity with any women, and then Nida is with one's wife if she's a Nida. So it's sort of like a closer one to, to, 
to Kiddusha. You, you see what I'm saying? So each week there would be a step that is getting closer and closer to Kedusha. Is there anything that we should be doing during these weeks that, that correlate to Shavuot that we should know about? I, I think I, I, what, everybody's walking around in a daze. I, mean, I have people call me up left and right. They're all walking around in a daze. So what I tell them is this. I said, look, in the end, you have to have bitachon. You have to realize that sure. God knows what he's doing, right? He, and not only that, but called Milsa the Ovid Rahmona, everything that God does is the Tav Ovid. He's got his hands, so to speak, on everything that's happening. You know, nothing can happen unless it's part of his plan. And his plan ultimately is Gula to redeem the Jews. You see? Look, what you are watching is the windows closing, which I spoke about. You are watching, you know, evil grow and grow and grow. Until finally, there's a, a, a tiny micro gap that is left, you see? And if that closed, uh, then there would be no shefa to the Bria, to creation, and the whole creation would disappear. So therefore, we are watching <clears throat> the darkened windows where no light can come into the room at all, except a tiny slit, uh, you see? And like I mentioned, the reason for that is because you have to do what I call tachas benoi. You need to accelerate the process. And that process is to give evil its due. You see? Because you need to satisfy justice, uh, which I'll talk about more next week, <clears throat> and so on. And that's why evil grows. You are watching that. This whole business where America is about to be turned over to evil that's exactly who they are, tremendously evil people, right? Uh, you are watching, uh, you know, the windows closing more and more. Listen, this has all been predicted, uh, you know. Look, we, if, if, we, if, if the Gemara Sanhedrin, you know, the Gemara Sanhedrin, uh, in the last Perik Chelek, it talks about what will be before the Mashiach comes. And it says many, many things. You know, but they all add up to one theme, disaster. All of it. There won't be any money, you know, there won't be any Tamid Chachomim, there'll be an incredible amount of Gaiva. When you look at all the predictions, you know, of all the Chachamim, the Amarim, 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 yes, and the Tanoim and so on, they all add up to one idea, disaster. So what does that mean, disaster? Why is everything bad? And the answer is because that is the windows closing. That's really what it is. They're just describing, you know, what, in what form does it come out that it's all dark? Okay, so you have all kinds of bad news. You know, economic disaster, sickness, death, devour. You know, I once mentioned in one of the shurim, which I gave, is that the Midrash says that before the Mashiach comes, there will be a tremendous devil, plague, Please. COVID. Yeah, it says that, COVID. And that's all part of the acceleration of suffering, you know. Uh, but all of it spells one thing, disaster. 
And that's the concept of the windows closing. Except the Gemara talks about just different forms of how it closes. That's all. And that you're exactly seeing that. You are seeing disaster. Whether it be COVID, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, Biden and Harris, whether it be what the Congress just did, which is an incredible betrayal of justice. Because they know that the, the, uh, <clears throat> the Constitution of the federal and of the state has been violated, and they have done nothing, you see. Even if there was not fraud, <clears throat> which we know there was, but they, everybody knows that there was a violation of the Constitution. So how do you do nothing? How do you not send the, the uh, ballots, or rather the electors, <laughs> back to the uh, states? You don't. Because they're all reshoim. We are looking at a den of evil. That whole Congress is evil. It's incredible. They've made a mockery of justice, you see. And uh, this is, uh, so you're watching what used to be the United States. You're watching a restoration of the evil of Esau coming back. That means that the window is almost shut. That's what's happening. So why should we be surprised? But we have to understand that. That's the beauty of Ashkofer, is that at least it explains what's happening. So at least you, walk, you don't walk around in a, in, a da- in a daze, you know. You know, everybody else is walking around in a daze because what do they know? But uh, you know the concept of the window closes, that evil must proliferate at the end in order, right, to accelerate the process of tikkun. Because without that, there's no tikkun. And God is not going to bring the Mashiach until the tikkun is complete. The same thing happened in Egypt. He had to do the straw, gzera, in order for the tikkun to be complete, right? And therefore Moshe Rabbeinu can now begin the makot. Same thing. It's the exact same repeat, which is what I gave in this year. You know. Um, that's, but Hashem yeah. brought the tov be'esav. Why is he bringing now the rasha of Esav? He wants well, to bring Donald Trump to what, Why is he going back? Well, if you remember I, this, what I gave it that year, uh, I said, Hashem brought Moshe Rabbeinu, didn't he? That's a lot better than yeah. the Tov And he still stopped it. Right? He still mm-hmm. stopped it. Even Moshe Rabbeinu didn't understand. And he went right back in the Shemot. He went back to the Bansham and saying, you know, Loma Loma why are we doing evil to this nation? Right? I mean, he's the man appointed Mashiach, <clears throat> yet he did not understand that you need what's called Tachas Benoi. You can't just take Yitzchak off the altar, the Mizbeach. Uh, there has to be another sacrifice, which is, uh, I quoted these Midrashim and so on. You're looking at the same thing, you know? You can't just redeem the Jewish people. Evil has to have its due, and the Jews have to atone for everything. They have to complete the job of Tikkun. You see? Look, I often compare it to Hevli Mashiach, right? Birth pangs of the Messiah. 
right? Look, you know, I don't know because I don't give birth to anybody, right? But you women, you all have kids, right? You can all identify with Kevle Mashiach, right? Right? For nine months, it's been glory. You're expecting a child and so on, right? And every once in a while, kid kicks. You feel the kid. And all of a sudden, in the end, right, you know, this kid is like, you know, what's happening here? You know, and you can imagine what the infant feels. It has no idea what's about to happen. All it knows is that its head and its body is being squeezed. So if the kid is thinking, which maybe it is, we don't know, it's probably saying to himself, wow, this is terrible. Until now, I was living in the Hilton. You know, I had everything. And now all of a sudden, I'm being ripped apart. I'm, I'm being squashed at every side. Looks like it's over with, right? And all of a sudden, the kid pops out into an unbelievable world. You see? That is what Hevel Mashiach is. Guess what? We are watching, right, the birth pangs of the Messiah, which means that the Mashiach, you know, it's Klai Yisrael, because that's what the infant is. We are being pushed into the canal. And it's terrible, you see? So everybody's walking around in the days, but guess what's going to happen? All of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's almost like it happens, you know, suddenly, there it is. There is the light, you see? And that's what's happening now. We're all going to know when the light appears? Like, we're all going to feel it? I suspect that there will be some type of sign, at least to arouse a suspicion that something is different. In the beginning, it'll be called what's called diffuse. It's not clear, you know, it's not crystal clear, but I, I think everybody will begin to see something different, that maybe something happened. There will be some type of an event that people will realize, wow, something is going on. You see? And then slowly that will grow. In many ways, it's compared to the sun rising. You know, first you don't see the orb. You see the dawn. You see the light. And you begin to realize, wow, you know, there's light. And it's getting bigger and bigger. But the interesting thing about it is that, okay, you know, there's more and more light. But you cannot realize that what's about to burst forth is a orb of a sun. Now, the sunlight is much greater than the dawn. means the dawn is a phase of light, right? And then all of a sudden, there's a light from the sun. There's no comparison between the light of dawn and the light of the sun, you see. And that's what people will realize. First, there will be some light slowly there's a diminishment of evil. So there's light. But nobody understands the amount of light. And all of a sudden, the Mashiach, you see, he, when he appears, it is the sun appearing. You see. And that is Mashiach ben Yosef. As the sun rises. But when it hits the what's called the meridian, which is the zenith, that's been dubbed. And that is spectacular, you see. So if you want to look at it, 
you have these three phases. You have the light of dawn, then you have the light of the sun until midday, and then you have the sun at midday, which is the most powerful light of all, and that is Mashiach Medavid. You see? So you can use this as a good example. What was that? Is Mashiach ben David alive? Probably. Does he know? Inkling? No, well, not yet. No, not yet. Ben Yosef doesn't. No. So, he may, so again, he has he, no idea. Well, he may suspect. He probably has a sign. What? He probably has a sign that some, he's not the normal person. Exactly. Yeah, he's also suspicious. That there's something that makes sense here. Yeah. You so, see. Do you think, uh, Rabbi, what do you think? You go, Renette, go. What? What do you think of Rabbi that we're telling you if it's really true that it comes down and out, when, that the Pope has been arrested for all this bad stuff and that the Vatican was behind the voter fraud of the well, election? If, if, I'll tell you, if what you look, Christianity in the end has to fold. We all know that. Right? But you can't do it so quickly. Why? Because when Christianity folds, where are all the goyim going to do? They're going to come over to Judaism? That's very dangerous. But I thought before Mashiach, they, they had to admit that Yahadu is the real religion and Hashem is the king and they had to, that's what has to happen. Yes. Am I wrong? Uh, well, I, I believe that Christianity will not fold or fall until the Mashiach. You see, because Judaism cannot handle an influx of two billion people. But we, if what you're saying is correct, and I find that hard to believe, I'll be honest with you, that they arrested the Pope, you know, um, if that is true, then that is the beginning of the end of Christianity. Because that will be the greatest uh, downfall of Christianity. I mean, what happened with the Catholic Church in terms of the pedophilia, that itself destroyed so much of the Church. But the fall of the Pope, that would be uh, cataclysmic for the Church. And you're talking about a billion Catholics. There are a billion Christians, of which one billion are Catholics, Roman Catholics, which means they follow the Pope. The rest are Protestants or other denominations. That would be cataclysmic. So I don't know if that's true. I would find that very hard to believe that he has been implicated in so many crimes. You know? Well, the only thing that they did come out and they said was his doctor had died of COVID, which that was, was broadcasted on mainstream media. Uh, the day after the Vatican was in a blackout. Yeah. Um, but they're saying that they may use that as an excuse as, oh, the, the Pope is not doing well because the doctor exposed him to COVID and use this type of excuse. Whether we really know what happened to the doctor, we don't know. He may have been taken in for custody because he knows too much information or killed or who knows. We don't know. Yeah. But the mainstream media, even CNN, posted that his doctor died of COVID. So clearly something is up that it happened right the night after the Vatican had a huge blackout for two nights. 
Okay. You know, we we'll, we have to wait and see. But yeah, like I, I say, I have, the, I have a question. Yeah. If 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 the other religions do fall, will the Messiah be like? There, because like not for anything. I feel bad for them. It, imagine your whole life you believed in something. Yeah, I know. And, and all, it, all of a sudden, I all of a sudden, yeah. And and talk about being lost, right? So, so will they will they have the opportunity to, to turn to Hashem, not as a religion to practice in Judaism, but at least to ha- to put their faith there? You know what I mean? Just for the yeah, comfort of they it. They will. Yeah, they will. But in order for that to happen. There has to be a tremendous infrastructure that can accept. You know, you, you can't make people sick without a hospital. You need to build a hospital first, right? Because where are where they going to go? The same thing. I, there has to be some type of an infrastructure, which is a messianic infrastructure, before the religions collapse of the world. You know, you, the Russian doesn't want to leave the world in a state of tremendous uh, confusion and depression. You have a lot of su- you'll have a lot of suicides. Yeah. You know, so there has to be. I don't believe that will happen until the Mashiach is aware of who he is and is able to build a real infrastructure where the people who realize that they've been misled for all their lives, which is terrible, right? That has to, there has to be some type of uh, remedy for these people. You see? So, when, you know, so that revelation to these people will happen as part of the Messianic era, yes. You see? Do you feel like it's like Makat Choshech that the news is not telling us what's going on and they're leaving us in the dark. Uh, I, I, look, I, I don't know really what's happening. You know, the things that you're saying are extraordinary. And, uh, you know, in terms of Trump, the Pope, Italy, not- you know, it's just it's extraordinary stuff. You yeah. know, I, I don't see why nobody's reporting this at all. 